Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. Welcome back. It's uh, the holiday season. The holiday season. Yeah. It's Christmas. Right. Right. Come on. Mm-hmm. This is the podcast that translates President Trump. We take a look at the current administration. We address the existential threats to America. Joining me today is Kimberly Strassel. She's a member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board. We're going to talk about her new book, Resistance at All Costs, How Trump Haters Are Breaking America. Kimberly Strassel, how are you? Good. How are you, Dr. Bennett? Oh, Bill, please. And Kim or Kimberly? Just Kim, please. Okay. Only my mom calls me Kimberly and only when I'm in trouble. So. Okay, I got you. Kimberly! <laughs> Kimberly! Right. I got you. I got you. You're scaring me. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. IG report from uh, Inspector Horowitz, Inspector General uh, of uh, the Justice Department, and uh, Bill Barr. And uh, John Durham saying they don't go along with the Horowitz report. Put this in the context of your fascinating, interesting book, uh, Resistance at All Costs, Kim. Where did these, is this part of the resistance? Are we still seeing the resistance and the reaction to the resistance? Those first two examples you gave, absolutely. Because what are we talking about here Um, We've had this narrative for three years that it's Donald Trump who's breaking the country, Donald Trump who's wrecking institutions. But then look at this IG report that we had come out. You know, the FBI has suffered an enormous collapse of public faith in that institution, and it's because of its own actions. And we now finally have an IG report that details the excesses and the violations that were clearly taken by actors that were subject to some form of Trump derangement syndrome, you know, from Jim Comey on down. And those violations are egregious. Uh, They go to the very question of the FISA court uh, and uh, the surveillance of American citizens. And it's pretty clear from that report, the IG was willing, I mean, the the FBI was willing to to throw over all of those uh, sort of rules and procedures we have in their pursuit of this president. Um, And then you have impeachment. Uh, These two articles that you mentioned, both of them unprecedented. We've never had such a watered down basis on which to impeach a president. Uh, Obstruction, they're now turning what is a routine fights between Congress and the White House over documents and evidence into an impeachable offense. And then abuse of power, which I don't even know what that is. It's not defined in any statute, uh, but it seems rather to be in the eyes of Democratic beholders. And obstruction is not obstruction of justice. I noted it's obstruction of Congress. Yes. And again, we we do have these fights routinely. Uh, You and I both know any number of Republican members who would probably complain uh, hours about the amount of obstruction the Obama administration gave them when they were trying to obtain documents and witnesses. Uh, But we let courts sort that out. Well, I love the way you go back and, and talk about the resistance in its beginnings. But let's stay with today's hot headlines. Uh, for for a minute, uh, because um, and, uh, let's let's parse them out a little more. Uh, you you talk you use the word egregious. I just saw just five minutes ago, uh, Jim Comey and Chuck Schumer, my former student at Harvard. I'll tell you a funny story about that um, if you want to hear it sometime. Anyway, um, uh, saying nothing there. No, oh, there was no spying. There was nothing, you know, I mean, there were mistakes. Mistakes were made, but there was nothing egregious, to use your words. Tell me why you think it's egregious and what, why are they saying it's not? 
Well, first of all, let's go through this misconception that the IG in any way signed off on this behavior. <laughs> what, the, what the IG said is the bar, the threshold for opening an investigation, the FBI must follow, is like supremely low. Basically, right. you know, to malign an old saying, it, you can investigate the making of a ham sandwich if they want to. Right. Um, and so, yeah, in that regard, uh, you know, they didn't violate any rules in opening an investigation. All right. Um, and, but then you go on and actually what they just said was wrong. Like they, he does lay out for the first time that the dossier, uh, paid for by a rival campaign was an essential and clear part of these FISA warrants against the Trump campaign member. Uh, he points out that they did use spy to go against the Trump campaign and recorded conversations that they had with Trump campaign members. Um, and then he goes through the many, many violations um, that they uh, engaged in in front of the FISA court from uh, not providing exculpatory information, from providing incorrect information, from overstating their sources and the, and the, the details that they had. Now, you know, the other thing, too, and I think this is really important, is even the, even the IG says, look, I'm not here to second-guess discretionary judgments that the FBI made. But guess what? We, the American people, we definitely get to do that. And just because the FBI has the power to do something because there's a low threshold does not mean that it should have or that it was appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think if you read through this report, you come to the conclusion that none of this was justified. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, too. There's a, a kind of a, a gap or discrepancy. So, well, you know, we didn't see political motivation. He doesn't say we didn't not see political motivation. I mean, you know, wh- why did they do these things? Doesn't it leave that question unanswered? Why was the dossier used? Why was Steele relied on? Uh, something was motivating that, right? Well, absolutely. And look, let's be clear about what he said in the report. He said he found no documentary evidence of bias. What that means is he didn't find some smoking gun memo or email in which, you know, Peter Strzok said, hey, let's go take down Donald Trump because no one's that stupid in today's world. Um, But he he pointed out plenty of bias uh, in the report, uh, laying out those emails between different FBI agents showing their hostility to Trump. And let's not forget the entire predicate of these FISA warrants. This dossier was entirely politically motivated in that this report, this dossier was paid for and conjured up by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. Okay. Um, And we'll know more, right, uh, because the hearing's coming up. And we'll know more when Horowitz uh, goes before the Senate, right? Yes. And, you know, Republicans, I think, are going to, uh, you know, use their questions to get him to tease out a little bit more his own limitations in this report. Yeah. And then and then we will have Durham eventually uh, and uh, and and Bill Barr. I mean, we, we will hear them weighing in on on all this. And I suspect I mean, I don't know what other conclusion one could draw at this point. It's a, it's a guess, but I think it's a good guess is that Durham thinks there's a lot more serious uh, and a lot more uh, malevolent than uh, than the IG report suggests. That Durham statement on Monday was extraordinary for that very reason. Uh-huh. Uh, first of all, he's not known to normally wade into public debates, so the fact that he felt compelled to say something about this was notable. Okay. But also, he said, you know, he disagreed with the IG's conclusions about whether or not there was an adequate predicate. That suggests that he knows a lot more information and likely information that stretches back to an earlier time frame than Horowitz looked at and potentially to other agencies, which Horowitz 
Horowitz was not allowed to look at. All right. We're talking to Kimberly Strassel, the book Resistance at All Costs, how Trump haters are breaking America. Let's just, before we go back to the election, let's just say a word about impeachment. I, I, am, I was very interested, too, to see these kind of uh, watery, uh, diluted um, uh, charges, uh, obstruction of Congress. I mean, every day of the week, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, something happens. Um, uh, when I was up for just a tiny example, when I was up for secretary of education, Lowell Weicker, uh, who is chairman of a, of a Senate committee, confirmation committee, uh, said that he would not confirm me until Ronald Reagan promised he wouldn't abolish the department. I remember I went back and I saw the president. I said, I don't care. You can abolish it. I don't have to be confirmed. I don't need this job. Anyway, Weicker, Weicker was talking about the obstruction of Congress because uh, because President Reagan wouldn't make that promise. I mean, these things are everyday occurrences, these kinds of tensions and frictions. And the other one, um, it's not bribery, right? It's not fraud, bribery, uh, lying under oath. Um, what what is it exactly? Well, and what happened abuse to those of words? power? I mean, it's called those abuse words, of power, yeah, right? The, the most popular words of the Democrats over the past two months: bribery, extortion, quid pro quo, play to pay to play. Suddenly, those are nowhere anywhere in this article yeah. of impeachment, and we still How have come? this fuzzy. How come? Well, look, I think it's because. So here's my guess: is that Adam Schiff for the past two months has been uh, delivering this extraordinarily capacious definition of bribery, right. uh, which basically is, you know, anything, pretty much any time a, a, a public official asks for anything and it might benefit them, then he's guilty of bribery. Well, I think it might have occurred to some of the smart people in the Democratic Party that under this definition of President Joe Biden could be impeached in a nanosecond given his behavior in Ukraine. And in fact, there's not many politicians in Washington who probably wouldn't go to jail under a bribe charge. Okay. So they had to, to, to yeah. rein that in. Yeah, I also think, I mean, abuse of power, I was just looking up the, you know, in quotes, it's been used overgeneralized, but pretty close uh, to criticize every presidential decision made that you disagree with. I remember abuse of power when the president uses Air Force One to visit an Air Force base and then does a political event. That's an abuse of power. Come on. You know, come on. Cut, cut it out. Yeah. This, the, the, there's not well, look at, I mean, my favorite. Everyone remember when Barack Obama just declared the Senate not in session and then used that to appoint several of right. his, his cronies right. to the National right. Labor Relations the Supreme Court nine zero yeah, later yeah. ruled that he'd violated the Constitution. Was yeah. that an abuse of power? Yeah, we should have impeached him. Absolutely. And we should have been. Where the hell were we? God knows. Where was my team? <laughs> All right. <laughs> no. The answer is no. Uh, let's go back. When was the resist? What is the resistance and when was it born? You know, I, I use a very specific definition for the resistance because it's interesting. But when the publishers first came to me about this book, they, they wanted the subtitle to be how Trump critics are breaking America. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I am an occasional Trump critic. I think every thinking human being looks at a presidency and there's some things that they agree with and some things that they criticize. Uh, the haters are something different. The haters are people who, from the moment Donald Trump was elected, they took the view that he was an occupying power, an illegitimate force in the White House. And that with that came their mentality that they were allowed to break any rules or take any any actions to get rid of them. I mean, think of the word resistance is from World War Two. You know, people who were fighting the occupying Nazis. That is their mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, irony here, too, because there was a whole lot of talk before the election 
uh, whether uh, Donald Trump would concede the legitimacy of the election once Hillary Clinton won. Right. And he's kind of said, well, we'll see, you know, we'll see how much fraud there is or said some other things that, you know, they were, they were somewhat ambivalent. But the irony is he won. And now Hillary Clinton and a lot of other people are challenging the legitimacy, actually challenging the legitimacy of that election. Oh, you know, to, to this day, I was struck when Jerry Nadler announced those impeachment articles this morning. He went out of his way to say, you know, Donald Trump abused his power by asking the Ukraine for this investigation to help him in this election, just as he did in 2016 when he got Russia to help him win the last election. And, you know, this is this grievance out there. You know, normally, and you, you've done this even longer than I have, political parties lose. They step back, they do an autopsy, they figure out what they did wrong, and then they try to go win with a better message next time. Democrats lost and said, wah, that is not fair, we didn't deserve to lose, and how do we get rid of the guy who won? Uh, and the Electoral College. I mean, that was we had that little passing fancy, right? Get rid of the Electoral College. Tell, uh, They're still talking about that. I, yeah. still, I still play that uh, reel, and there are several of them, I guess, but I run through that reel of an hour of the... Uh, faces of uh, reporters on, on election night. You have a great story in your book, the book Resistance at All Costs by Kimberly Strassel. Uh, Trump haters are, are breaking America. Tell us about your um, party or event uh, or slumber party <laughs> for your kids, whatever it was, uh, the night of oh, the no. election. It, it was fun. Just We had an uh, election party at my house in Virginia. And, uh, um, Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Well, <laughs> did you know something? We thought it would be fun. No, <laughs> okay. no, we just we we like to get people together and have a good time. And I'm very equal opportunity in terms of politics. So we had people there from all across the political spectrum: people that were supporting Trump, you, people that were supporting Hillary. And you wouldn't have cleared the table if Hillary had won and said, "Get out of here!" Right? No. You wouldn't have oh, no. put you the know, liquor away. By the way, I, mean, <laughs> okay, all right. I was in that camp of people who still thought it was a 50-50 shot yeah. either way. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, and if you'd listened to the media, you were convinced that Hillary was going to walk away with it. So that's the funny thing is I remember running in the side of the house and out of the side of the house. We had this big TV screen set up outside and I was delivering drinks and everything. And all of a sudden I walk out at one point and I just notice all these people kind of drifting aimlessly toward their cars. And they all looked dazed and confused. And and I realized that they had just made an announcement that it was impossible for her to win. And these were all the Clinton supporters. And they yeah. were just, they, they didn't even know what had hit them. So uh, tell us how the resistance took form, the interesting ways in which it took form, some of the surprising ways in which it took form. And I guess part of the surprising uh, nature here is the vehemence. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think it's the anger and the vehemence. Um, and, and look, I want to be clear. And again, you know this from your, all your time in politics. If any Republican had won, it didn't have to be Donald Trump there was going to be a certain level of viciousness because the media and Democrats are always vicious to Republican presidents, right? Well, yeah, but except they deny it. Now. Yeah. They deny it now, though. I mean, it's St. George now and St. Ronald now, you know, comparatively, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let re, let's rerun the tapes yeah. back from the time. But, but I think what defines this, though, again, is this mentality that they are allowed to take any actions that they want. So that is, to me, why you saw the FBI 
uh, Jim Comey's first case of Trump derangement syndrome take the extraordinary actions it did of opening a counterintelligence investigation. This is just not kosher, and yet they felt it was okay to do. I think it's where you, why you see the, the craziness that was the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Um, we've never seen anything quite that insane. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had ugly confirmations. It's where you see impeachment. Um, it's, it's, it's how you see the media, which, by the way, like, forget plain old media bias, which we've lost lived with. But now, I mean, the media is an active participant in a partisan war against the Republican Party and Donald Trump, and they're not even shy about it anymore. Yeah, Kim, have they, they're not shy about it. Have they admitted it? No, they would never admit it. Um, but look, uh, you know, one of, one of the one things I regret in my book is I did a whole chapter on media bias and the problems with the media, and I put it at the end of the book. And I now wish it had been the number one chapter because I have become convinced that if the media was even remotely doing its job, uh, calling balls and strikes, that we wouldn't have seen hardly any of the craziness of the last three years. We, we, they would have called out the FBI for its behavior. We probably wouldn't have got a Mueller investigation. Uh, they would have, you know, stood down in the Kavanaugh uh, impeachment uh, or Kavanaugh confirmation hearing, and they'd be calling out Democrats on the paucity of these impeachment charges now. But because they're all in, they just keep encouraging this behavior and a further devolution of standards. Yeah, I'm I'm having a deja vu with the media. Uh, I'm a creature originally uh, of uh, of the of the academy. I did a PhD in philosophy and was just you know I tell the story. I, I got my first job with Ronald Reagan as chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities because they had a nationwide search to find a professor of the humanities who had voted for Ronald Reagan, and you know. <laughs> And there were three of us in the country, and I was the number two choice. So, so, I, so, so I got I got the job, but I keep waiting for the academy to bottom out. To, you know, the argument ad absurdum, or as we say in philosophy, the argument ad finem, that you know, the last point of the argument, the the most extreme point, that it's not acceptable. That, that is, it's going to get so ridiculous at the universities, it's going to hit bottom like a bungee. It'll come back up, but it never hits bottom in the universities. The nonsense, the depth of the nonsense keeps being lowered, plumbed. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I keep waiting for some, you know, somebody to blow a whistle, some chancellor somewhere. Uh, and there are a couple, but but it doesn't happen. And now with the media, I was watching, um, yeah, you're very complimentary to me. So you've been around a while and, you know, well, you didn't have to say I've been around a lot longer than you have, but you're absolutely right. I've been around a lot longer than you have. I just uh, no, no, in it's fine. experience <laughs> and wisdom. Experience <laughs> and wisdom. Right. Anyway, George Burns at 80 when he got the Academy Award, he said, if you wait, ar- <laughs> if you wait around long enough, they all come back to you. Anyway, that's what I'm hoping. Um, but, uh, but uh, I, you know, I'm still shocked and I shouldn't be watching uh, Meet the Press. And, you know, Chuck Todd has Jerry Nadler virtually on his lap, you know, and, and, and then attacking and screaming at Ted Cruz. I mean, that's just not professional, right? I mean, quite apart from resistance, it's not professional in the least. Oh, no. I, you know, prior hosts of that show would be turning in their grave. Tim Russert. Uh, right. watching. Tim Russert. Yep. Yeah, yep. Tim, yep. Tim Russert would be. Uh, you know, this, this is. This is not acceptable. And I keep waiting for them to hit bottom, too. Look, this is incredibly frustrating for me because, 
you know, I just sat and watched for two years when, as the Wall Street Journal editorial page was breaking news saying, hey, you know, the dossier was financed by the Clinton campaign. And, you know, oh, my God, the FBI used a dossier to spy on uh, other Americans and they used spies against the Trump campaign. We were were getting ridiculed as conspiracy theorists. Okay, now a report comes out that says that everything we wrote was correct. And the media's response is, oh, this is no big deal. Okay, yes, so it all happened. But it's no big deal. Let let us now change gears and explain to you why it's all acceptable. It's just it's it's crazy. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's that's a great example of the, the shifting nature of the standards and the shifting nature of what's acceptable. Uh, on the on the side of uh, on the on the side of the media, what's the scariest um, thing about the resistance? What's the thing you fear most, or that as has happened or will happen? I'll tell you mine, and I, I don't think it's happened yet, but it was intimated in the in the Kavanaugh hearings, um, and and that is uh, the notion that. Trump is illegitimate. Kavanaugh is illegitimate. You remember this came up a couple of times. This Supreme Court, therefore, majority will be illegitimate. We don't have to obey the orders of that Supreme Court. Do you remember that argument? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And no less than people like Eric Holder suggested it. That's the correct. former attorney general that's of the correct. United States. That's correct. Now, I don't think that's taken hold yet. Uh, maybe yet's the wrong word. It hasn't taken hold. Could that? I mean, if you had a Trump second term, where, what is the, what is the, where does the resistance go? I think that you bring up probably one of the scariest notions of this is that Democrats have got this mentality that just we're going to burn the place down. If we can't win and we can't control things. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Yeah. Why am I laughing? Burn it. Right. No, it's, get Dolly yeah, Madison. The get, the por- get Dolly Madison. Get yeah. the portrait of James Madison. I mean, George Washington out of there. Yeah. Here come the British. Yeah. No, they just either they get to win or they're going to change the rules so that they get yeah. to win yeah. or they're going to say that everyone else is illegitimate. And that's just a really dangerous mentality. Here's the other thing, though, that scares me just as much, though, is that you're describing the places that they might go if Donald Trump wins a second term. I get equally frightened about what happens if they win and they view that as a validation of their tactics over the past four years. Yeah, right. Encouragement. We did it right. We were vicious and we won. And so let's continue to do this. Yeah, and that to me is just as scary. And, and you know, one of those scenarios is likely to happen. Look, here's what in the best case scenario, Donald Trump wins and Democrats instead say, OK, maybe the this behavior did not win us any favors across the country. Um, you know, I think that's the that's the kind of best case scenario. I'm just still not sure that they have the humility to do that, though. Resistance at all costs, how Trump haters are breaking America. Kimberly Strassel. I um, just some personal stuff. You're welcome to use it, but uh, I've I've thinned out my Rolodex. I mean, you know, I was a Reagan guy. I was sec- his Secretary of Education. I was Bush's drug czar, first drug czar, confirmed by Joe Biden. By the way, Joe Biden told me in several hearings, which are still available on video, that I was too soft on law enforcement. Wasn't putting enough money into locking them up. We could release those. Wow, and, you should get that back out there. Yeah, yeah. And destroy the candidacy. I don't. I don't think that's worse than the hairs hairs in the swimming pool, though. Enough <laughs> said about that. Um, but where do we go from here? I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about my experiences, and you know, we two three thoughts in my head at the same time. I go back to one that that you sparked, which is when Obama was reelected. I had a very successful radio show. And when Obama was reelected, we lost 
for a while about 50 to 100,000 listeners. And I asked people why they thought we lost some and some who we lost wrote us and said, I just don't want, I just don't want to participate anymore. I, I, I love your show. I love the conversation. I just, I'm just done with politics. It's too much. I'm going to raise yeah. my kids. I'm going to go to church. I'm to classical music. Withdrawal, which is a lot better than resistance, isn't it? It's not the best option. The best option is to stay engaged in a responsible, lawful way. But that was the response of a lot of conservatives, a lot of Christians, a lot of, you know, the Trump crowd was simply to step back. Then, four years later, there was this other opportunity. That's how, that's how I was reading it. Yeah, no, I think that that's right. Uh, and, and I think that that is better than, it's anything is better than the resistance mentality, that you're going to delegitimize the folks that won. Um, you know, I think you either step back and you tune out or... Maybe you, in a cheery, optimistic way, redouble your efforts to figure out, like, yeah. how you get your favorite candidate elected yeah. or something, yeah. but in a positive way. Uh, this is nothing that's happening right now is noble or positive. Do you, um, I, I was, while you were talking, I was thinking of a line I hadn't thought of in years. King Lear on the Heath says, it's not the worst as long as we can say it's the worst. Um, you know, we're still... <laughs> We're still breathing, which he isn't at the end, uh, as you remember. But can it get worse than it is than it is now? Alan Gelzo occasionally writes for your page. Um, professor at Gettysburg, sometimes at Princeton, says this is the most divided the country has been since the Civil War. Do you think that's right? I think that could be true. You know, I'm always wary just about saying it's the worst ever only because, you know, you go, you go way back to the beginning of the country and we had senators beating on each other with, you know, uh, with canes and and a a revolver and a a knife (laughs) and revolvers. And we had duels. Yes. And so, you know, I mean, we were pretty divided at the beginning of this country as well. He said since the civil war, since the civil war. No, and I, and I understand the, distinction. I I will tell you this. I think what is beyond doubt is that in terms of political acts in Washington, that we have entered an unprecedented time where behavior has really fallen apart. Um, every week, I feel like there's some new, right? We, we've never impeached an, a president on such low standards. We've never had a Kavanaugh hearing that uh, threw aside due process. Uh, you know, we've never had the, the, the House rush to hold the attorney general in contempt over practically nothing. Uh, I mean, it goes on. We've never had the FBI start a counterintelligence investigation in, you know, on the basis of a political campaign's opposition research. You know, these are all standards and precedents that I think are alarming and disturbing. Yeah. And I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm wary of, of uh, the generalization that begins with, you know, this is the worst because it's usually followed by, and it's like Hitler, which I never want to hear again in my life. Please. <laughs> right. you know, exactly. Please. There are certain, but, certain, certain analogies I never want to hear either. But, but what about this? I just wrote a, a history book, uh, 800 page history book, which everybody's looking at it. It doesn't say, what does it say? They say, gosh, this is big. That tells me about my work as education secretary. I didn't do so good. I didn't do so good. Anyway, uh, but but one of the chapters in my book is Annis Horribilis, 1968. Terrible year, the year of assassinations, killings, 
America spelt with a K. That with that recent history in mind, is it, are we worse off now than we were then? Oh, I again, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. You know, I, I don't just, know either. I just, I think it's so hard to make those comparisons. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I just try to look at sort of as a country as a whole. I think those are really hard calls to make. Yeah, um, but I try to keep focused on Washington and its behavior. And it's easier in that regard to say there's some new news here that should be alarming a lot of folks around the nation. A guy stopped me, uh, stopped his car in the street uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, admittedly, it's Montgomery County, Maryland. Um, you know, our representative is Jamie Raskin, not, not a middle of the roader. Um, and a guy stopped his car and said, I think you're horrible and disgusting and I never want to talk to you. I said, have we ever talked? Wow. Be- have we ever talked before? I said, he said, no. I said, well, carry on. You know? <laughs> uh, carry on. As you were, as you were, you know, uh, but. Uh, you know, in the people confrontations and restaurants, I, I don't know if it's worse or not, but it's it's a little scary. It's a little scary. And my wife sometimes sometimes says to me, I think you'll appreciate this, Kim. She says, you know, stop with the Peloton commercial. I've been talking about the Peloton commercial. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And by the way, if my husband bought me a Peloton bike, I would be thrilled. I know. Just yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife said the same. She said, you could buy me that. But there are, there are other things yeah. ahead of it. Other things that sparkle more <laughs> ahead of it. Anyway. <laughs> But she said, she said, watch it with the Peloton thing. Watch it with other stuff. In fact, keep your mouth shut. I said, honey, do you know how I make my living? You know, pods, <laughs> radios, op-eds, books. I mean, you, you got to be careful. You do have to be careful. And the threshold for getting somebody really, really mad. Um, we got a wedding coming up in our family. And I got a couple of people in my family saying, uh, we're not going to talk any politics the wedding. I said, no, I, there's no need to. There's certainly no need to. Uh, but pe- people get worried about these events now. And I see Hollywood and uh, advertisers are making a big deal out of you know, family discussions and so on. But uh, it's, 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 tr- it's tricky water these days. Well, and I, I think that, I mean, there's no question that what you are describing is a change in the culture, which is that we seem to be losing our capacity to have civil debate. Yeah, and I right. think that goes back to what you, what we were talking about earlier about the media and its own role. Uh, the media is supposed to be there to foster these things, to provide facts, and then to allow people to have a reasoned discussion about them. But when you've got TV hosts who are screaming at their guests, um, and also indulging in terms that they haven't really thought through. You know, words matter. When people start throwing around words like treason, for instance, yeah. or, you know, abuse of power, uh, it, it normalizes that kind of, of talk. And that leads to more impassioned debate. Um, and this is not good for the country. I think the other thing that's played into this, and, you know, I'm, I'm a, a mother of some teenage kids and, uh, and a younger one as well, too. And social media um, and the fact that we now are disconnected, we, we have the ability to reach the whole world, but there are no consequences for the things that we put out there. Um, you know, and that you can just online on Twitter, I don't do this, but other people can say, you know, I hate your guts and you're the most stupid person I've ever heard. You wouldn't necessarily say that to someone's face, but it starts online. And then people increasingly begin to think that they can say things like that to people's face. And it's just a coarsening of manners and debate. Let's start with where you, you, you began in that last answer. 
you know, I took the, what I call the Socratic oath, not the Hippocratic oath, but as a PhD in philosophy, the conditions of dialogue. Socrates lays down three conditions of dialogue. Uh, knowledge, you should know something about what you're talking about. Uh, intelligence, you know, you can muster some. And most important, goodwill. And by goodwill, he doesn't mean you like the other person. But goodwill means an openness to follow the evidence where it leads, you know, to follow the argument, to be fair, fair-minded. Uh, and, and, and that's missing a lot. And the times that I've at least begun a civil dialogue with a lot of people who disagree with me, they stop listening. They just stop listening because they don't want to hear it. Maybe I do the same, but uh, that is a loss uh, if we lose that, uh, those conditions of, uh, of dialogue. I don't know. I you know, sometimes think I ought to get back into the classroom here. Uh, and try to get that. well i was just gonna say that rounds us back to what you were saying about the academy yeah. and college campuses you know we need to be it always strikes me you go to these liberal arts colleges and the one thing that they require everyone to do in their first year is take a writing class okay i'm a fan of that because uh i guess people need to know how to you know put pen to paper and do it in a, in a better way but why don't we have some other introductory required courses that, you know, do require kids to understand civics, the Constitution, and then understand some of the principles that you just laid out there? I think we'd be creating a better generation of future political observers. I, I just I stay corrected. My uh, able producer who listens well, listens better to me than I do, said, no, no, the three conditions are not knowledge, intelligence, and goodwill. They're candor intelligence and goodwill candor is oh, there you go. yeah better uh last thing um I, the, the, my, my rival my only rival here talking about the resistance to you know maybe the supreme not obeying orders supreme court lawful orders or or, or this you know anything goes in the destruction of someone you disagree with is maybe in, ter- in the long term is this um i guess it's a kind of class thing or intellectual thing the deplorables business, the looking down on people who don't agree with you. That's you know, it's a bit of the swamp theory and, you know, the best and the brightest. But there's something in there on the left about people just need to be led and these Trump people I I my audience has heard this before. Used to have lunch once every month with three intellectuals, conservative types, you know them all, I won't mention them, but you know them all and have read them all. And we went around the table three months before the election. Who are you going to vote for? Uh, and it was confidential. That's why I won't repeat their names. Uh, you could probably guess. And each of them said, uh, Hillary or nobody. And I said, I'm going to vote for, for Trump. Um, <laughs> and we had a heated discussion, particularly heated because I'd already had a martini. And, you know, uh, but, and they did Those too. are the best lunches. But I'll tell you, you know, when an Irishman has a martini, sometimes hits levels of, uh, you know, uh, of, of uh, quotable uh, quality that he doesn't hit without it. Falstaff said, you know, the imagination is inflamed by, by, the, by liquor. Anyway, not a case for liquor. But uh, I said, you know, your problem, your guy's problem is no one who has ever been to a Trump rally has ever read any of your op-eds. And man, I, I, mm-hmm. hit, I hit the target. I could see, you know, when Obama came to town, there was a dinner party, a famous dinner party at George Will's house. And all of these guys were invited. I wasn't invited. That's okay. But all these guys were invited because Obama wanted to, you know, reason together with these people. <laughs> he didn't want to at all. He was just, but they were complimented to be asked. I, I'm telling this long story, self-serving story for the point that 
Um, you know, odi profanum vulgus. I hate the vulgar crowd. There really is something to that right now in the resistance, isn't there? People don't know better. The Trump people, the people who support this president, this policies, are just dumb. That's what a lot of these resistance people think, don't they? Well, it's been there for a while. I would only point that out. Only I, I remember being particularly offended. Um, I mean, I, I came from a, a blue-collar community. A lot of my family still lives in a rural blue-collar community. These are the people who are the sort of base of the where the Trump movement. I, I grew up in a logging community in Oregon. Really? Yeah. Gosh, you're mm-hmm. the only sensible person from Oregon I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I hear that a lot. Yeah, I'll bet. You have to meet the rest of my family. They're they're actually a lot more sensible and smarter than even me. But I got to tell you about you know, my uh, running with the mayor of Portland when I was drug czar. I said they're all com- they're all coming up here. You know, they're coming up I I five. They're coming into your city. He said we welcome everybody. I said I'm talking Bloods and Crips with drugs. Yeah. He said we welcome everybody. Yep. We're the Rose City or uh-huh. whatever the hell we are. Anyway. Go ahead. Go ahead. And Sorry. they did come, and they're they're all there. I know. So, but I, know. I, I remember being offended when Obama talked about conservatives clinging to their guns and their religion. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's so right. I think that's what right. you've seen is a, a compounding of that, in that they now have even more disdain for Donald Trump and a lot of these white or blue collar voters that came out to support him, and they're no longer trying to hide that disdain either. It's become open in the media and everything, and but it comes from a certain weird uh, morality and uh, on the left where, you know, if I disagree with you, Bill, or I disagree with anyone, you know, I still can admire you and say, you know, we may disagree, but you're a good person. The, the left's general view is if you don't agree with them, there's something morally defect about you and right. that, you know, you're a bad, bad person. And that attitude drives a lot of that. Deplorable meant a lot in that election, didn't it? I mean, that really did hurt her a lot, didn't it? With a lot of people. Yeah, I think she acknowledges that, has yeah. acknowledged that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, acknowledged that another really bad moment for her was when she was going to shut down all the coal jobs in the country because that's its own form of, of kind of virtue preaching and that there are certain industries as well that do not, uh, you know, live up to the left standard of what is good and honorable in the world. Yeah, yeah. I remember old column of Irving Crystal in your newspaper before you were born called Smart, Smart, Stupid about people who are smart and have lots of degrees but are really kind of stupid about some things. And there's a lot of that. Uh, for example, you can be brilliant and really wealthy like Michael Bloomberg, whom I know and you know kind of like. Where does he, where does he get the idea that the, this country would vote for him? Where in hell did he get that idea? Yeah. You don't work for Bloomberg, so you can comment. What about that rule? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. The media's, you know, the AP's not going to, or Bloomberg's not going to investigate anyone on the Democratic side because they can't investigate Michael Bloomberg. Come on. I mean, come on. Right. Um, But, no, it's, it's, by the way, Michael Bloomberg. I keep laughing by all these people who talk about, you know, Michael Bloomberg, maybe he'll sweep in because he's the moderate candidate. Have you looked at this guy's positions on guns? No, he's, you know, try, try selling that as a moderate position to not just a lot of Republican and independent voters, but, you know, blue collar Democrats in Western Pennsylvania. 
I was at a Bloomberg meeting. He asked me to come. He's very nice. He asked me to come talk about education. But I couldn't resist after four hours of listening to all this stuff. When I, on my panel, I said, <clears throat> I'm a little uncomfortable. There's so many people here disagree with me, but I'll do my best. I, I wish I were armed. And I got a few, I got a few laughs. And then I said, but I, I, I know that's not allowed, but could somebody please get me a 32 ounce big gulp? And, yeah, and uh, that got that got that got more laughs. But no, gosh, knows. I mean, he's not only way out there; he's 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 really a busybody about a lot of stuff. Anyway, uh, the great it's a great book, Resistance at All Costs. I, I read it with great interest because I want to figure this thing out, and this book really helped me. How Trump haters are are breaking America, Kimberly Strassel. Last question. What do we do um, if America's broken or part broken or about to break? I guess did you, was it your answer earlier. Go back, think about it. Go back and think about who to vote for, what to do in your community. I mean, I I, I don't want to go back to the university. I mean, I was at a, an apartment at Boston University. I was the only non-Marxist, and that was in 1973. What are they now? Yeah, well, you know, I'm a conservative, which means I'm an optimist, and I do think that we always have the ability to right our ship. Um, and yeah, to me, the answer is always know more, learn more, educate yourself, and, and be committed to making positive change. Yeah. I am a uh, theoretical pessimist. I am with... Uh Isaiah, Isaiah. In the end, it's all wind and ashes, you know. But operationally, every day, I am an operational optimist. I get up in the morning when I'm shaving. I think, how can I take it to him today? You know, what can I do? Anyway, it comes from uh, sports, I think, more than anything else. Thank you, Kimberly Strassel. We love reading you and listening to you and watching you do great work. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show, Bill. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. So, Claude, I think the book would make a very good book. Absolutely. A very good present around this time of year. But also for Christmas, I think you should mention your latest, too. I mean, the one-volume history of America. America, the last best hope, one volume. Uh, And also, um, from last year, the true St. Nicholas. Story of the real St. Nicholas, feast day, as we say in the Catholic Church, December 6th. Yeah. Terrific story about this guy. He's a real guy, and he's uh, you know he's the model of Santa Claus. He's where Santa Claus came from. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a bishop of the church, uh, known for his generosity, his love of children, and of sailors and the sea. And he notices a man uh, who's got three daughters doesn't have enough money for a dowry, so they can't get married. Mm-hmm. It's the old days. He didn't have money to buy him a Peloton. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, so he uh, takes some gold coins, drops them in a shoe mm-hmm. through the window. Gold coins in a shoe mm-hmm. sound like something in a stocking. Right, right. Man discovers them the next morning. So tons of stories. And then his, you know, he gets all over the world, and he's called all sorts of different names. Finally becomes that jolly St. Nick. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is the real Nicholas, and it's a good story. It's a short book. It's a nice little book. You can put it in a stocking. Yes, you can. You can put it in a stocking. And tell, it tells the story of the stocking. You can put it in a stocking. <laughs> the other book is not so short. Um, I'm going to say it's about 900 pages. Oh, yeah, I know, big time. But if you need, you know, um, something to use as a paperweight <laughs> or if you want to do some, you know, arm curls or right. something. As you're reading. As you're reading. But uh, it's a good book. And it has uh, been reviewed by both liberals, not the left, but liberals and conservatives very well. 
It's uh, America, the last best hope. Uh, it's a story of America starting with the revolution and going up to the election of uh, Donald Trump. Not so much on the last couple of elections, Obama and Trump, but um, pretty extensive through uh, through Reagan and Bush. So uh, it's a good book. It's a good history book. And um, this is our students' worst subject. So I'd appreciate if people take a look at it. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. One of the things we like to do on the show is to read our emails, and we do. We get great feedback, and I'm so proud of this audience. I often learn things, get educated. I don't suppose I should say that as if it's a surprise. I don't, don't think I did say it as if it's a surprise. It isn't. Really smart people. We got one from Tom. Tom Spurlock's in yeah. California. Uh, let's see. He is. He, he didn't. Uh, yep. Yeah, from Yorba Linda. Yorba Linda. Mm-hmm. It's Russia's place. He always talks about Yorba Linda. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, let's go through this. This is this is worth it. It's about Donald Trump. Yeah, he wanted to go through his top 10 reasons why he believes uh, President Trump uh, is hated by the Democrats uh, that no one talks about. Uh, but he opens the email. He says, it's clear to me that a guy like uh, Trump with no political experience and no foreign uh, uh, diplomacy experience has been doing a better job than any president uh, in the past, Democrat or Republican. It goes through these are the reasons. He says, uh, uh, when did you ever hear that China was still a favorite nation, which is appalling? He said, was manipulating currency, stealing IP, as well as forcing shared IP uh, with U.S. manufacturers. You heard this only after Trump got elected or during his campaign speeches. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, um, I don't know what else to say about that, but that's true. I mean, I... I don't recall any conversations like that. No, no, absolutely. And this kind of goes... The only conversation I recall about China was that the Clintons were selling or giving all this stuff to China. Right. Technology, high-tech stuff, aeronautical stuff. Right. Which goes into his second point, which is really good. Uh, when, you, when have you ever heard uh, that there was uh, such a huge trade imbalance with China and the didn't, U.S. is clearly getting the short end of the stick? Didn't, and, and, and Trump hammered this and hammered this. Never heard about that. When did you learn that NATO uh, nations were not paying their fair share of 2%, as they all promised to do, uh, and discovered these nations haven't paid their fair share for ne- years never. no penalties? Never heard it. Never and he's got a manning up. He's mm-hmm. got a manning anteing up. Up several more forget. billion dollars. There were some leaders all over the world uh, in NATO that uh, had a lot to say about President Trump when he was first saying this stuff, but then they all came to the table and said, you know, okay, we'll, you know, we'll pay it up. Yep, we bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you hear about our allies whom we protect, like Korea, uh, Japan, were not paying their fair share yeah, for thing. our protection? Same point. Yeah, yeah I was. Uh, number five, he says, when was unemployment, uh, when has un- unemployment been at record lows? Only after Trump was elected. Number six, when did the stock market hit an all-time high? Only after Trump was elected. You know, there's this uh, show on <clears throat> CNBC. I don't watch it. I think it's CNBC. Jim Cramer. Yeah, yeah, Jim Cramer. I watch him. He said the other day, mm-hmm. this is the best economy in his lifetime. Yeah. He said yeah. this economy is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, so we should impeach him. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Number seven. It's the only logical conclusion. Oh, you're right. Uh, who has pushed the most to get our borders secure? Yeah. Only Trump. Well, I, you know, that's really true. Uh, by the way, he uh, was looking at statistics the other day about Drew Brees versus Tom Brady versus I don't know, somebody else. 
passes completed. Trump is still behind Obama in deportations, deportations you know, but in terms of securing the border way ahead, which used to come up when Democrats were trying to attack uh, Joe Biden at the debates, but they don't talk about Did that. you see the liberal minister's uh, crash scene, Christmas crash? No. It's uh, Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, and they're each in their own cage uh, uh, to depict, uh, you know, uh, the birth of Jesus in the era of Trump, mm-hmm. family separation, Obama policy again. Go ahead. We'll move on from that. Number yep. eight, uh, what president has the has what it takes, uh, that's the way I'll phrase it, to stand up to China <laughs> to force them to stop their bad acting? He's right. Mm-hmm. He's right. <clears throat> Confronting them. Exactly. Number nine, what president said we could do uh, better than NAFTA to put together a better deal? Uh, USMCA. Yeah, and that's, uh, as we're speaking, that's uh, going through, and mm-hmm. it's going to be to his credit. Absolutely. And uh, number 10, what president negotiated the deal to convince Me- Mexico to stop the traffic of immigrants from Central America to the U.S. by using Mexican troops to stop the flow? Yeah, he did. He did. And now more needs to be done. You know, I'm all over this. Uh, saw the president announce that um, he's intending to declare these cartels foreign terrorist organizations. I think he's right to do that. I know he's put a pause on it, but they're killing a lot more Americans by their sending in of all these drugs uh, to this country than Middle Easterners are killing. Mm-hmm. But this Pensacola thing, my God, the killing of that uh, those people in Pensacola. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, it, it was videoed, and apparently this guy had a dinner party uh, and invited people to watch videos of mass murders before he went and did this. And I don't understand this notion that you can't be armed on a military base. Right. I mean, you know, I've argued for teachers being armed in a school. If Mm -hmm. a teacher can be armed in a school with proper training, supervision, background, people in our military should be able to carry firearms, seems to me. I would assume so, yeah. Saved some lives here. Apparently there's some real heroics in that group. One of the guys who took the guy down or tried to take him down was killed. Go ahead. Right. Uh, he said that's his top ten list, but he has dozens more to prove that uh, President Trump is different uh, in a great way. Now, he says he has his warts, but his policies are working for all Americans. Uh, yes, He has his warts, or as our friend Conrad Black might say, he's a bit of a change of pace. <laughs> right. He says, but his policies are working for all Americans, even Democrats. I hope they realize that next November. Uh, he says this is embarrassing to all politicians, not just Democrats. No, the president has delivered as promised as much uh, as President Trump to fix things and drain the swamp. Remember, he has no experience in politics. Yeah, uh, We need an honest businessman to run our country like a business, growing the economy, protecting our assets uh, and protecting our country first. The Democrats are pissed the most because they have nothing going for them in terms of policy or candidates, which I mean, is so true. Yeah. Uh, they only have have the house and that may uh, change next year given how the dems are proving themselves to be total idiots with their uh, illegitimate impeachment process it's going to backfire tom spurlock you're willing to california uh, tom thank you very much yeah, and good. folks let that be an encouragement to you give us your best thoughts and we'll read them on air absolutely we don't have to have uh, famous people write books we can be very smart people who listen to the show right Send in your thoughts as far as what's going on, like Tom did, but then also with it being Christmas season, you wanted folks to send in presents? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> no. No. I'm not asking Christ- for no. presents. No, they're Christmas thoughts. They're Christmas thoughts and wishes and what are they doing with their families this year and all that kind That's of stuff. Right. Yeah. We don't want presents. No. I mean, we don't turn them away, but. I'm putting on a wedding. You got a few bucks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right. That's coming up. Kidding. As someone said the other day, now, oh, this is an inside joke, except for the audience who knows Mrs. Bennett. 
part of this audience. Someone said, oh, your son's getting married. Well, what a relief. Your wife doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> they don't know Mrs. Bennett, do they? No, she's planning a wedding. Mrs. Bennett said, uh, you know, when my boys get married, I hope they marry orphans so I can do the whole thing. <laughs> well, John's not marrying an orphan, marrying a lovely girl with a lovely mom, but mm-hmm. this lovely mom has uh, deferred a lot to Mrs. Bennett mm-hmm. because Mrs. Bennett has a way of... She does? No, she does. She, she knows does. what she's doing. She's got a way of... Uh, taking over taking- the show. <laughs> From taking soup, the lead. From soup, yeah, taking the lead. Right. That's it. From soup, soup to nuts. Mm-hmm. And we're all usually better for it. She said, I think the dance floor is about an inch too high. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> she said, you want to come to the tasting? I said, no. No. <laughs> all sorts of things I've been invited to in regard to this wedding. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just getting out the You check. thought the only thing you were supposed to go to was the rehearsal dinner and the wedding. Yeah. Uh, there is no rehearsal dinner. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, we're not doing rehearsal. We're doing an afterward thing. For out of town oh. people, yeah, tailgate. Okay, <laughs> well, as is our want in this family. But I think she's going to have something for the people night before. So oh, that's going to be great. I know that's going to. You're going to be there for the night before? No. Oh, for the wedding? No, oh, yeah, you're not out of town. Yeah. Boy, you you get in that car with that empty plate and like a, treating us like you're, we're your grandmother. <laughs> right. I'll be over at 3.30. I'll be over at 3.30. Load us up. And I've got to leave at uh, 4.15. Don't forget, it's black tie. We've, oh, yeah, no. We have, we've got that cover. It's going to be great. You're going to look like a mean boss. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sierra will look great. Won't <laughs> oh, you know she will. Gosh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. I said to my son, you looking forward to this? You looking forward to this being over? He said, a little of both. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. Uh, and then you got to rest on it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a good thing the big games are the 28th. That's all I can say. Because <laughs> if they were the 31st. Yeah. Well, I've got apps on my phone that comes in handy for plays that my mother-in-law I remember, you know, went to the play and your mother-in-law yeah. and you were watching football. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that's when. So you could use my phone if you need. when I decided yeah. to hire you. <laughs> There's a there's a Christmas commercial out. Forget who it's for, but they're all sitting around at the table and they start arguing. And, uh, and mother and the f- and the husband and the kids and the aunts, the uncles, brothers, and the father mm-hmm. of the mother or the father, the grandfather, is at the table and he just keeps looking over at the TV, the the lions, <laughs> the lions game. Right. We were watching it. Mrs. Bennett said, "That's you. That's you." <laughs> Not taking a side in the argument, trying to get the score. Yep, just trying to see what the score is. She's wondering if the season is over yet. Oh, yeah, no, no. I mean... We've got a few more weeks in the playoffs. I'm getting a little lacrimose. It's getting close to the end. And I don't know what I do. What do I do from February on? Well, there's March Madness. That's true. We love that. It's true. Yeah, I do like March Madness. You don't really care too much for baseball. No. Hockey's still going on, but I don't... I don't know. NBA basketball, not really... My a TV, uh, of course, uh, my TV is, is a big screen, but it's too far away from me for hockey. I can't see the puck. Right. You know what I mean? I think Fox, when they do their stuff, they highlight it now. They need to put a light on Right. Because <laughs> right. I can't see it. Yeah. The only thing I can see is guys getting banged against the board. That's all they do. That's all they do. All righty. Uh, thanks, Tom. Send your emails to where? BillBennettPodcast.gmail.com. Got it. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 